This is Juliette Kayam, and from WGBH News, welcome to The Skiff. In the security world, a SCIF, or a sensitive, compartmented information facility, is where some of the most classified conversations about our national security take place. With this podcast, I will bring you inside the security world and help take some of the mystery out of what makes us safer. So welcome to the SCIF. are truly dishonest people. And not all of them, not all of them. You have some very good reporters, you have some very fair journalists. But for the most part, honestly, these are really, really dishonest people. And they're bad people. And I really think they don't like our country. I really believe that. That was President Donald Trump speaking at a rally in Arizona earlier this week. And if you're thinking that those seem like the words of someone who is unfit for the presidency of the United States, you are in good company. I don't know when I've listened and watched something like this from a president that I found more uh, disturbing. Having some understanding of uh, the levers of power that are available to a president if uh, he chooses to exercise them. Uh, I found this uh, uh, downright scary and, and, uh, and disturbing. That's the voice of Jim Clapper, the former director of the Office of National Intelligence on CNN early Wednesday morning after President Trump's speech in Arizona. Anyone in national security and the intelligence community knows what type of person Jim Clapper is. And given his background, how unlikely It is that he has been put in this position. For those of you who don't know, here's Clapper's background. Well, I've been in the intelligence business 50 years, counting 34 years at Air Force and Marine Corps, and then 16 years as a civilian, director of NGA, USDI, and uh, DNI. This has been an interesting week for you. You were flung into sort of a public discussion uh, over the last couple of days. I don't even know if you're on Twitter or not, but... I really am just sort of curious how you're doing. Well, I'm doing fine. You know, I actually, I found it quite liberating uh, to be uh, out of the government. You know, my stock line is it's a great time to be a former. And I, f- I feel in some respects, and the reason I started being public, uh, certainly more than I was when I was in the government, was because I felt that I needed to speak for the intelligence community, since when you're in it, it's harder to, to be outspoken. And uh, I'm, you know, very concerned about kind of the assaults on the intelligence community. That's kind of how I got started about it. And plus, you know, my own personal encounters with uh, President Trump. You know, this whole this whole thing kind of goes against my uh, instincts, my grain. My, you know, I, I grew up in an Army family. My dad was an Army intelligence officer for 28 years, and certainly my time. Uh, in working in the government, either in the military or in civilian capacity. So my instincts are loyalty to the president uh, as, as commander-in-chief. So uh, for me to be um, critical of a president, particularly in public, is, is hard. But I, I do feel a sense of obligation to an institution that I spent, you know, 50-plus years serving. Yeah. You know, for some time you've been out there, you... Uh you uh, work for CNN. You have a very public 
uh, role right now. But this week was a little bit different. On Tuesday night, the president uh, gave a speech in Arizona. And my understanding from our previous conversations is you were set to go on air on CNN, where we uh, both are analysts to discuss actually Afghanistan. Right. Um, Instead, the new and the new uh, announcement by the president on Afghanistan. Instead, it became something different. What happened in that moment that you went from, okay, I'm going to be Afghanistan analyzer to, to essentially what yeah. came what came out of your your mouth? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I and you're right. I had, uh, the plan was uh, when I went on with Don Lemon was uh, to talk about Afghanistan and of course uh, for me uh, ever popular North Korea. Um, and so, you know. I watched the uh, president's uh, performance at the rally, uh, his, ra- uh, his rally there in Phoenix. And I, uh, in fact, I spent about an hour in a green room because it was delayed. Um, and I was just, I was really taken aback. I was, I, I was shaken by, uh, by what he, what he said and did. And I just, um, so that kind of overtook the originally planned topics and Don, you know, asked me uh, understandably and I, I think appropriately what I thought. So what I said was, uh, not planned. It was, uh, extemporaneous, but, uh, it's, it's how I felt. And, uh, I, I've been amazed, uh, Juliet, I have to tell you, I, cause I'm traveling a lot these days and a number of strangers that come up to me in the airport, and just, uh, aren't you so-and-so? Yeah. And I said, yeah, that's me. And they just say, thanks for being our voice. And, uh, yeah. and that happens a lot. I was, well, I stayed up, uh, and saw it and I, I, I tweeted out, all I tweeted out was, is everybody watching Clapper? Cause to me it was, different not bad it was just you know the words you know you you said trump's behavior and divisiveness divisiveness and complete intellectual moral and ethical void they were um they weren't shocking in the sense that many people have thought that but i think uh they were um they were illuminating and there was something that you said that um i wanted to push down you you have admitted you're not a psychologist but a national security leader but you said, I really question his ability to be, his fitness to be. You're talking about President Trump in this office. And then you went on, you said, and I also am beginning to wonder about his motivation for it. Um, what did you mean by that? Well, actually, that was a response to there had been a panel mm-hmm. that Don had before I came on. And there was discussion in the panel uh, about that. So I was actually responding. Uh, responding to a comment that uh, one of the panelists made uh, in which she uh, was actually much more assertive about wondering whether uh, the president was looking for uh, a way out. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I I can't, you know, I'm not a mind reader. I'm certainly not uh, a psychologist or psychiatrist. I don't, I don't pretend that I, I just, I just I worry about just what you know observed behavior. Yeah. And uh, what I I think what we traditionally come to believe is required in a president one to be moderate, balanced, um, one who can control emotions and temper, and one and, and someone who is not 
quite so obviously blatantly consumed with himself. And most presidents, at least overtly, all presidents have to have a big ego, otherwise they wouldn't be president. But uh, this is different. So I would, the, actually the comment was, was prompted a bit by the earlier panel discussion. Not surprisingly, or maybe surprisingly, we were emailing at the time that the president went after you. How did you find out about that? And uh, he mentions in the tweet about a beautiful letter. I know you've explained it uh, since about what that letter was. But yeah. for my listeners, sure. uh, Trump seems to suggest that you were, uh, you know, complimenting him. And now you had some motivation not to. So, yeah. Well, uh, first um, of all, it wasn't the first time I've been the subject of a tweet. Uh, when Sally Yates and I appeared before the uh, Senator Lindsey Graham's uh, Senate Judiciary Com- Subcommittee on the 8th of May, and after that hearing, which was an open hearing, uh, he tweeted out that Sally and I had choked like dogs. And I couldn't help but think um, back if uh, President Obama had said to me after a congressional hearing, well, you really choked on that hearing. I'd have been devastated, and you know the tweet. It just it just didn't bother me, and I, I I rather expected it, just because that's his his inclination and his and his practice. And I don't do Twitter. Um, I I don't have time for it. I just don't do it. Maybe I should. But anyway, the way I learned about it was Jake Tapper <laughs> sent, sent me an email with the tweet, and that's uh, and he asked me about the beautiful letter. What the beautiful letter was, the reference to, was a pro forma courtesy that uh, we extended at the night before the election. We deployed two briefing teams uh, to both locations where uh, Secretary uh, Clinton was and where now President Trump was. And the idea was to be prepared, to be poised, to to give their first presidential daily brief, PDB brief, the morning after the election, the, the first one is president-elect. So I wrote two notes, uh, uh, nearly identical, one to Secretary Clinton, one to president, then-president-elect Trump, simply congratulating them as they were small, short, handwritten notes, congratulating them uh, and to assure them that the Intelligence Committee was standing by to serve them and to muster the best intelligence we possibly could for the difficult decisions they're going to have to make. And it was my fervent hope that they, either one of them, whoever was elected, would abide by and accept and support the principle of truth to power. In other words, that uh, not only allow, but encourage the intelligence community to convey the unvarnished bad news uh, and not threaten or intimidate or shoot the messenger. So uh, this was on uh, right after election day, and of course, uh, after we briefed uh, the president-elect at Trump Tower on the 6th of January and then the 10th, at another, he had an extemporaneous news conference and characterized us as Nazis, essentially shooting the messengers for uh, conveying what he under- understandably took as bad news about the Russian interference. So that's the background on the, uh, on the letter. And obviously the letter to Secretary Clinton that wasn't deployed. He said a couple other things about in the year about my being authority. I'm not an authority, as, as I as I said. Uh, I'm just ba- all I'm doing is based on what I observe, just like everybody else. And of course, I had to get a uh, 
uh, remark about uh, my encounter with Senator Wyden in March of 2013. Uh, I made a big mistake, but I didn't lie. For the listeners, uh, Trump's Twitter comment about lying in quotes was uh, actually you were asked in a public setting about whether there was a surveillance program. This was before Edward Snowden leaked it, uh, and you were put in a position to... uh, You could not disclose what, in fact, was happening because, of course, it was a highly classified program. That's true, but the the real fact is I wasn't even thinking about what Senator Wyden was asking me about. He asked the question rather euphemistically near the end of a a two-and-a-half-hour hearing. (laughs) Open hearing. I was not under oath, by the way, not that that makes any difference. And I thought of content, and what I thought about was Section 702 of the FISA Amendment Act, which governs a collection on non-U.S. persons overseas, that's not what he was referring to. And so my amplification that would only be inadvertent, that's a comment that makes absolutely no sense in the context of what he was talking about, Section 215 of the Patriot Act. I know this gets into technical detail here, but it's important. And I didn't even think of it. Uh, I was thinking of Section 702, which we had just spent months getting renewed at the end of 2012. So I, that's the first thing I thought of. And, of course, I didn't think he, he'd asked me, as you point out, about a then-classified program in an unclassified setting. And I've been trotting up to the Hill for 20-plus years. I've answered probably thousands of questions, either orally and writing. And it's kind of incredulous on its face that, gee, just for a change of pace, I think <laughs> I'll lie on this one question and by the way, do it on live television in front of one of my oversight committees. So on its face, it's ridiculous. So yes, I made a mistake, and I'm quite sure that the obituaries in the Washington Post and New York Times, when I die, the first line will be, I lied to Senator Wyden. It's not I, I Actually, at this stage, I disagree with that, because you probably have rewritten the obituary now. I mean, in the letter that you wrote to President <sighs> Trump, this notion of truth to power um, that animates the intelligence community, a little bit of what you're doing now outside of the community. Did you have a moment? Obviously, everyone was surprised that President Trump won. You had prepared your teams for the unlikely event, but the one that ended up resulting that, that President Trump would win. Did you have a moment uh you know, as you're briefing him in the transition, as he's going after the intelligence community, as he's getting angrier and angrier about the extent to which the intelligence community knew about what was happening with Russia. And then, of course, later on, as part of an investigation that you are not part of, I should make clear, as part of the investigation's uh, potential ties between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Did you have an aha moment about what was about to happen to the intelligence community under the Trump administration and what your obligation might actually have to be as as someone outside of government? Well, um, first of all, I think, as I observed uh, Trump Tower, I think the, the then-president-elect and his team, and especially him, he w- was just hypersensitive about any questioning of the legitimacy of the election. And, of course, the Russian interference, by the way, was sort of lost sight of that, which I think is a huge threat to this country. But the Russian interference, regardless of what impact it had, sort of caused question about the legitimacy of his election. And so that was the first real test of, you know, really bad news. And he had been briefed on this 
uh, in the run-up. Uh, when he was became the, can- the, the Republican candidate, that's when we started briefing both candidates. And uh, he, so he'd been briefed on, on the progress of our uh, uh, insight into what the Russians uh, were doing. And, of course, he was critical of our showing up, quote, late, uh, even though that's the time his staff had appointed, which was the Friday the 6th of January. And then the news conference, when he called us, uh, referred to us as Nazis. And then I called him about that. I, I called him on the phone, and amazingly enough, he took the call. And I tried to appear to appeal to his higher instincts by telling him what a, a national treasure he was inheriting in the form of the, in the intelligence community and the institutional commitment of the intelligence community, regardless of how they felt about the outcome of the election. But the institutional commitment is to do everything they could to support the president of the United States, whoever it is, in the difficult decisions and difficult job he's gonna, he, he was going to have. And, uh, you know, they're not Nazis. They're great American women and men, many, you know, serving in hazardous conditions. And uh, his main interest was in my putting out a rebuttal to the, the dossier, which, of course, I couldn't and wouldn't do. Nevertheless, I, I was heartened when I learned soon after that that the first place he was going to visit after the inauguration was CIA. And I thought, well, maybe he's going to kind of mend the fence here and say good things about the intelligence community. So he went out to the to the agency, and he was good for about two minutes. And then he got off on a rant about the size of the crowd in the mall and his feud with the media and the fake media and all this sort of thing, which I felt, as did many others, notably John Brennan, then the director of CIA, that he had dishonored that hallowed wall in the lobby of the CIA headquarters which now has, I think, some 126 stars of CIA officers over the years have given their lives in the defense of this country. And that was an affront to not only CIA employees, but it was an affront to everyone in the intelligence community. It would have been had the same effect if had he gone out to Arlington Cemetery and stood in front of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and ran it like that. It was just... I just thought uh, inappropriate. And I, I will be very honest and tell you that Jim Comey is a personal friend and a personal hero of mine, and I thought the way that was handled was despicable. So that's when it was, a, a I guess, a, a slow-motion aha mo- moment. Um, and that's when I knew that uh, perhaps a role that I needed to serve now, that I'm out of the government, I'm private citizen, uh, I've progressed from a Nazi to being a swamp drainee, <laughs> now I guess to part of the fake media. You are part of the of fake it. news. Yeah, no, yeah. it's um, that that progression, I think, in some ways for I think that represents in many ways a, a lot of the public's progression that a lot of us thought there would be a pivot once he had won. There would be yeah. uh, adults in the room. And there are you. I'm sure you know many of the people working for him. But right. You come from the world of intelligence and national security. Would you view all of this, all of the sort of Trump persona, as honestly the most pressing national security problem right now? Well, I've, I, I guess I kind of inferred that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I, I worry about it uh, as uh, a distraction uh, to uh, a lot of other important things uh, that, you know, and I worry about our standing in the world. Um, I've done some overseas traveling uh, since I left the government. And um, 
lot of people are very apprehensive, uh, very worried because of the role that uh, the United States has traditionally played in, in the world. And I, I understand the America first impulse. And yes, we have a lot of needs here at home. Uh, I get all that. But I also understand how uh, dependent uh, many other countries are on us, and particularly with respect to intelligence. And uh, even before I left the government and, uh, you know, the disparaging of the intelligence community, which caused doubt uh, and concern among many of uh, our intelligence partners overseas who are highly dependent on us for their own safety and security. And so the thought that all that is, uh, is being jeopardized in the minds of many uh, foreign interlocutors is, uh, is a concern. So, yes, uh, you know, because of this distraction with, with him, uh, it, I, it's regrettable to me that there isn't more focus on the Russian interference. Yeah. You know, what do, what do we do about that in the future? Yeah. Because the Russians are not going to stop. Uh, they, in fact, if anything, they've been emboldened right. by uh, what they did uh, during uh, to interfere with our election in 2016, and they're going to continue to do that. I think that's right. I think the idea that one and done is ridiculous, especially given that if if we don't put in uh, the leadership and the policies to protect our own democracy, they're they are going to do it again. I want to ask. Exactly. You still have a lot of friends in the intelligence community who are probably talking to you. And without getting specific, can you share with us some of their thoughts? Well, first, you know, I, I haven't done a, a systematic survey of, the, of uh, people in the intelligence community. I, I, I think I know the culture pretty well. I think the first thing I need to say is the intelligence community and the people in it, they're going to do the right thing. They're going to do their job. They're going to continue to serve the president. We, you know, we've been through criticism a lot. That's that's uh, that's one of the that's part of the business of, of being in intelligence is is criticism. I think there is a difference between healthy skepticism and disparagement. Uh, and and I, I there's no doubt that the you know the intelligence community is a cross section of the United States, and and there are clearly people who support the president and who voted for him in the intelligence community. But it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and it's kind of what I, I was trying to convey in the notes I wrote, that the community is going to support uh, the president and do the very best they can for him. It's my impression they're doing that. Now, individually, I'm sure, I know there are people that have reservations about, uh, about President Trump, just, just as I do. And believe me, I, I have to say, and they and I think and I feel the same way. There's nothing I like better than for him to be successful. And that's why when I was going to go on Don Lemon the other night, I was actually pleased with the outcome of the decision on Afghanistan. I mean, it's a difficult one. He obviously reversed himself from what he said during the campaign. He's not the first president to have done that. And and it appeared there was a deliberative process beforehand. And uh, he came in, out in the right place. And that's what I was prepared to talk about. But then, you know, the, the difference between the teleprompter Trump and the extemporaneous Trump is, is, is very bothersome. And we certainly saw that in stark relief between his speech on Afghanistan and, and the rally. So to answer your question, yes, I think, you know, there are many people in the intelligence community are concerned, but they're going to continue to do their job. 
my understanding is that uh, this was your first podcast, so I am very grateful for that. Uh, and yes, uh, yes, I know, is. I told you, I said, just talk, just talk. It's very easy, and no one's going to cut you off for a commercial break. Uh, and just thank you so much, uh, Jim Clapper, for your voice and, of course, your service. You you are in an unexpected role, but one that uh, I think many of my listeners and many people out there value very much. Well, thank you, Julia. Thanks for having me, and uh, it's, uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. This is Juliette Kayyem with The Skiff. I want to thank WGBH News for providing a home for the podcast. I want to thank the producer of this episode, Matt Cadwallader. Our music is from Marijan Knesev from creativesound.org. And as always, I want to thank you, our listeners, whether on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you are tuning in. Please keep listening, keep sharing, keep rating, and keep commenting so others can find us. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the Skiff Podcast. That's S C I F. And you can follow me at Juliet Kayem, K A Y Y E M. And check out my Facebook page for all my latest videos and articles. This is Juliet Kayem, and thanks for joining me in the Skiff. Mm-hmm.